Right, I'd like to talk to you tonight about something um, that is often perceived as negative and can be viewed as negative, and actually in some situations it actually can be negative, but I would like to tonight kind of flip it on its head and look at it from a completely different angle. And my aim tonight really is to reassure some of you that the journey that you are maybe on is okay, and also maybe challenge some of you that haven't yet embarked on the journey that you are safe to do so. So it's kind of a twofold approach, reassure, challenge, and some of you might feel that it's both, uh, but I really hope that you will open your heart tonight to receive whatever it is that, whether it's me or God, I don't know, one of the same thing really, um, that my heart is in, in, in speaking this tonight that all of us will become, come to a greater place of understanding that our journey on this road of faith, running the race marked out for us, unconventional by design, is all about contributing to a conversation that is ongoing. It never ends, never stops. And as soon as we believe it's stopped, we might as well pack up and go home because to some degree it becomes stale and it has been and it's limited. And that is ultimately not what I believe that the kingdom that is forcefully advancing is about. So I'd like to start by reading a little story. A young woman was preparing a ham dinner. After she cut off the end of the ham, she placed it in a pan for baking. Her friend asked her, why did you cut off the end of the ham? She replied, um, I really don't know, but my mother always did, so I thought you were supposed to. Later, when talking to her mother, she asked her why she cut off the end of the ham before baking it, and her mother replied, well, I really don't know, but that's the way my mum always did it. A few weeks later, while visiting her grandmother, the young woman asked, Grandma, why is it that you cut off the end of the ham before you bake it? Her grandmother replied, Well, dear, otherwise it would never fit into my baking pan. Just, just think about that for one second. I'm going to pose a challenge straight away. How many of us in here tonight are living in third generation theology and still cutting off the end of our ham? We could leave it there, really, and you could take that away and wrestle with that all week. Mm -hmm. How many are now in third-generation theology and are still cutting off the end of the ham? Some of you may have never even questioned the cutting off the end of the ham, and sometimes it might take somebody else, like in this situation, a friend saying, you know, why, why do you do that? Some of you may want to ask the question, but daren't because it's just what you've always known, and who are you to suggest that it would possibly be wrong, because that would be very wrong. Um, some of us may not have even noticed, we might have learned to live in such a way that we close ourselves off sometimes to the reality of what exists. So, you know, there are a lot of different kind of elements going on here. Um, do you think that it might just have been reasonable for this woman to ask her mother and her grandmother why they did what they did and get back to the root of why the ends of the ham were chopped off. I personally think that it was a good thing that she actually decided to ask the question. Now, the lady lost out probably for many years eating the whole ham 
because of something that was done for a particular purpose then, but was no longer needed to be upheld now. Did you hear that? The woman lost out from eating the whole ham because she was living in something that was right for then for a particular purpose and for a particular season, but she was living within that in her daily life, which which actually was no longer necessary anymore. This process is still happening today, either with us as individuals and particularly within the institution that we call the church. And that's to some degree what I'd like to look at a little bit today. Now, I was thinking of what to call my message tonight. I still haven't really come up with a title, but there was definitely a word that really inspired me that I wanted to look into. Now, don't need to put the PowerPoint up just yet. It's up, okay. You've seen it, put it back up. You're probably all terrified already because you've seen it, right? Tonight, I'm going to speak to you about heresy. Okay, now, before I move on, we're going to play a little game. We're going to do show of hands, all right? Okay. I would like a show of hands for all those people in here. And don't be afraid, this is not about who's right or wrong, who when that word comes up, they instantly think, hmm. Mm. Anybody? Be honest. Anybody think it contains negative connotations? Okay. Okay, some of you. Okay, good, good. That's great. I will put my hand up as well because I did when I first looked at it. And when me and Jenny were having the conversation yesterday and I said the word, she went, oh, it does. It just gets you, doesn't it, when you say the word. Who in here was kind of, is kind of like neutral? Didn't really think anything. Anybody? Okay. Neutral. Who in here looks at that word and thinks it holds positive meaning? Okay, a few people. Right, again, I did that for your own sake so you can be thinking because I know for me when I hear that word, it sets off a whole string of thoughts in my head mainly because of the road that I've taken in my life through being brought up within a Christian context and that word generally is often seen as quite a bad thing. If, you, if you're living in heresy or if you're if a heretic, it's often that you're cutting against the grain and you know, it's negative and it's bad and, and all these sorts of things. But I would like to kind of strip away that just for now to look right down the middle and see it for what it really is and potentially open up your eyes to something that really is quite incredible. And I hope that that's what we get from tonight. So we're going to put up the definition. Here we go. Heresy means... A belief or opinion contrary to the established doctrine or an opinion at odds with what is generally accepted. Is there anything evil or demonic or satanic about that? Nothing. It is a word that literally means a belief or opinion contrary. Let me ask you a question. How many of us in here tonight have beliefs that are different to each other? So... We already are starting from the thing that we can't avoid the fact that each person in this building is going to have beliefs that don't quite add up. So if I was to say that actually heresy exists in our daily lives all the time, in our beliefs that we're sometimes right and the people that give their opinion isn't right, so it's happening all the time, right? So again, for those of you who maybe thought, saw the word as being negative, I'd like you to just kind of overcome that for a second as we develop this, this story. And I want to read you a couple of other statements that I found when I type 
this into Google that I just thought were absolutely incredible. Listen to this. Heresy, by the way, simply means choice. It came to mean thought crime, implying it was blasphemy, blasphemy to presume to choose your own belief instead of swallowing what the bishops spoon-fed you. Now, you don't necessarily have to have bishops in there. That's just in the context of it can be what anybody spoon-feeds you. You feel that somehow, if you don't just agree with it all, then that's, yeah, you hear where I'm coming from. Let's have a look at the next one. This is, again, a challenge. If we have no heretics, we must invent them, for heresy is essential to health and growth. Wow, seeing things slightly differently to how you've seen them before. Right. Third one. Now, this one, to me, is the most powerful of all three. If you see it how I did, I just think it's incredible. All heresies are the banner of reality. Scratch the heresy and you will find the leper. Every battle against heresy wants only this, to keep the leper as he is. How often has the institution wanted to keep the leper as he is, excluded, you're not like us? We've loved it, haven't we, to some degree, because it's the whole thing when Ant spoke the other day about the pound, everyone gets paid the pound. We really don't like that, do we? Well, you know, well, I sometimes don't, I know, but it's a challenge when all of a sudden, if the leper is accepted, then there's some sort of balancing act that takes place. Yeah, there's no differentials and we can't, we just really struggle with that. So, now you've seen that actually we're approaching this from the positive side, right? I want to now talk to you about some of the most incredible people of our day um, and history who have basically shaped where we are now. Giordano Bruno, he was an Italian monk of the 16th century. He believed that more than one sun, he meant stars, existed and there were other planets that revolved around those stars. He believed the universe was infinite and outside our grasp. He was burnt at the stake for heresy. Be thinking what I'm saying here, are you with me? The Catholic Church condemned Galileo, Galilei, great name that, isn't it? In 1632, for his heretical notion that the earth was round, hurtling through space around the sun. For a long period of time, physicians endorsed the smoking of cigarettes as healthy because it helped sore throats and coughs. But then a surgeon named Luther Terry said that they were lethal and caused death. He was branded a heretic. People stood up and protested to abolish the slave trade. They were branded heretics. The reason you ladies in here tonight are not wearing hats is because someone decided to say that it was no longer necessary, potentially branded heretical. Going to the cinema, does anybody go to the cinema? Mm -hmm. The only reason you're going to the cinema now is because somebody maybe just decided to ask a question and say, maybe it's not like that anymore. Just trying to throw out some thoughts. Now, last but not least, I'd like to uh, talk about a dude named Jesus, who throughout his ministry violated many of the oral laws. He mixed freely with tax collectors and sinners, making him ceremonially unclean. 
He ate and drank with them and was called a glutton and a drunkard. He ate with ceremonially unclean hands. He broke Sabbath laws by healing people and gleaning corn to eat. He forgave people's sins, which to the Pharisees was blasphemy. He claimed to be the son of God. He called God father, shock horror. He freed an adulterous woman when stoning was the legal requirement for such an act. And he told the Jews to drink his blood and eat his flesh. Are you with me? Now, isn't hindsight a wonderful thing? Because all of those people that I've just read out, so from there being more than one star, the earth is round, smoking is dangerous, the slave trade being abolished, wearing hats in church, going to the cinema, and all of the things that I've just named that Jesus did, that in our faith we would say that we understand and we love, And yet, hindsight says we get it now. We get it now. Because we think, well, of course the earth is round. Of course it is. Why would anybody have believed that the earth could be flat? Of course it's round. What was the first one I said? Of course there's more than one star. And of course there's more than just the earth. And the the universe is infinite. Of course we don't need to wear hats in church anymore. Of course... We don't, you know, stoning the adultery. We don't stone people anymore because that was what they did back in that time. Very easily we can say that. And yet, if we had have been in the position at that time, ask yourself the question, would you have fallen for it as easily? We just don't know, do we? The likelihood is we probably wouldn't. Now, when Jesus decided to release the woman caught in the act, who was right? Who was right? You could say Jesus was definitely right because he was going the life way, but actually he wasn't right in the context of the way of life. So let's go with just, yeah, the law here. The Pharisees were absolutely categorically right that that woman should have been stoned. But Jesus decided to say that he was going to go about it a different way. And this is interesting because I said earlier on that another word for heresy is thought crime. The Pharisees believed that Jesus was operating in thought crimes against the established beliefs and culture of the time. Now, again, we would say, well, no, Jesus, you know, he's, he's, he's not like that. He's the son of God, blah, 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 blah. But we've got to remember, if we had have been there, our response might have been very, very different. Now, let me throw out another, another challenge to you now. What are, we just, what are we trying to stone now in 2014? And are we willing to stand up as Jesus did, like he did then, and maybe say that things don't have to be the same anymore? Now, that's a scary thing, because there's a lot of things that go on in our society in 21st century life, but it's no different to what they were facing then, that all of a sudden Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 we're going to go about this a different way now. He chose to think differently. Some saw it as a thought crime. Is it making some sense? Yeah? All right. So all of the people who I spoke about earlier were heretics in their own society and field, but in the end brought about a revolution, a new way of thinking, and ultimately they shaped history. Which brings me to talk about a man called Nicodemus. 
Right, have you all heard of the story of Nicodemus? Some of you have. Right, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a high judge of that group. Now, the Pharisees struggled with Jesus because he was, some people say, from a different sect of the Jewish community. And yet here we have a story, it's in John 3 if you want to look it up, where we have Jesus and Nicodemus making conversation together. Now, what's very interesting is when you look into it, it was actually Nicodemus who found Jesus late at night, which is interesting. It was almost like he found him at a time where there wasn't people around because he was slightly nervous because he was approaching somebody that potentially didn't agree with what he was a part of. Now, we have three concepts, well, there's more than three, but I picked three, that Jesus throws out to Nicodemus that potentially were totally opposing to everything that Nicodemus was brought up to believe was correct. Now, before I say this, I want to add this, right? When we read scripture, it's interesting because you can look at it from all sorts of angles, but when I read this, because it goes on to talk about the whole issue of being born again in eternal life and etc., etc., if you are looking at it to try and prove a point about being born again in eternal life, I think you will miss what's actually happening in this story. Because when Jesus is presenting some of these thoughts, look at it as he's presenting these thoughts to a man who has no concept of anything outside of where he is. So sometimes we can take things so literally, which there might be, but sometimes because we do that, we can fail to see actually what the story is trying to take us to, to understand. So let's have a look at some of the points that Jesus throws at Nicodemus, bearing in mind Jesus, Nicodemus the Pharisee. It says, a man must be born again. And Nicodemus says, but how can a man go back into his mother's womb? So here we have Nicodemus being presented with a thought, born again. I, I don't really understand what you mean. Number two, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All of a sudden, he's basically saying that I am stood here as God's son presenting this to you. Again, a, a thing that the Pharisees just could not get their head around. Then the third one, this is, a, this is a great one. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Remember that word condemn. But to save the world through him. Now, the Pharisees believed it was their job to uphold the law and believed the only way this could be achieved was through condemning those who didn't uphold it. So here you have now Jesus saying, I did not come to condemn, but yet Nicodemus is part of a group of people whose life is defined by the condemnation of people who don't live up to the law. That must have been quite hard because once Jesus takes that away from him, who is he? It's quite scary, isn't it? Um, in this house tonight, we've had certain things that to some degree we've allowed to be taken from us in the process of our journey. And you're left thinking, oh, but if we don't have that and all the stuff that we've relied on that have given us this identity, then who the heck are we? Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Because over time, the diamond does gradually begin to be revealed. But the starting point, sometimes it's really hard to see because that's the whole thing of the crud coming to the surface and, and, and the furnace underneath. Now, as we develop this, we go on to John 7, and I find this interesting that Nicodemus is mentioned in John 3, John 7, and John 19. It's like this man, there's something about this man that keeps cropping up, and I think that is so awesome. 
So we now have the Pharisees throwing all sorts of accusations towards Jesus, but something has clearly shifted in Nicodemus because instead of just staying quiet and going, okay, you know, I saw Jesus at night when it was private, but I ain't certainly not going to discuss it now in front of all these, especially when I'm one of the high judges, you know, I'll just keep quiet. Something is going on enough inside of him to actually verbalize what it is that he's thinking. And he says this, but does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? So maybe, is there a possibility that Nicodemus has started to realise that he might have been losing the ends of his ham unnecessarily? Just maybe. The other Pharisees in the story get really mad with Nicodemus because they say, you're falling for nonsense. It's nonsense. Now again, we would look reading the story and think, well, of course it wasn't nonsense. He was responding to the Son of God. You've got to remember, again, he was there, he was there in that time, and he had certain rules that he had to abide by. So this was probably quite frightening for him. All of a sudden, he's thinking, hang on a second, like, some things that this guy's saying are really quite interesting and quite challenging, and I feel like I want to open myself up to think, well, is there a different way? Might possibly, is there room for conversation here to find out what's beyond this? John 19 then says this, Nicodemus brings spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial. So we have Jesus, uh, Nicodemus preparing Jesus' body for burial when all of his disciples who had said that they were behind him were nowhere to be found. And yet we have a guy who was from a totally different belief system, who right through this process ends up somehow being writ even written about that he's there preparing Jesus' body for ultimately the next step, which was resurrection, that would completely shatter and change. That's when the, the temple curtain would be torn. He was part of that process, and I just think that is miraculous. What a huge part he played in history. If he had been unwilling to have a thought crime against the Pharisees and make some good conversation, he would have missed out on this moment that he was about to experience. Just put the next slide up for me. Our willingness to stay open creates a turning point, a discovery, a transforming and a humbling and in turn, we experience revelation in its full force, the true kingdom of God. You might be at a place in your life where you struggle with asking questions. You may have decided, not even going to go there. You may think, you know, how will it end? If I start asking questions, how will this end? Do you think Nicodemus knew how it was going to end? You know, because you read it, and it says, but he didn't know where he was going to end up. As far as, he was, as far as he was concerned, he could have potentially been burnt at the stake as well for heresy against that which he said he'd committed to. But yet, we look at it and think it's so wonderful, which it is. But yet, some of you may be in exactly that same position tonight, that sense of fear of thinking, oh, you know, well, I'd like to question that because I'm not sure, but I'm worried where it might possibly end up. Is this making some sense to you? Good. 
So, let's now have a look at how we tie this all together. There's a question that me and Jenny raised, and also that when I decided to speak on this, that I felt was important to add, because it might have been something that's been going in through your heads from the start, is how do we know then that we're not swinging the pendulum too far? And basically, oh, well, we can just basically choose, pick and choose, and speak against anything, and not agree with anything, and this, that, and the other. Nicodemus didn't know. Again, we come back to that. He didn't know that he wasn't swinging the pendulum. How did he know that Jesus was who he said he was? So he could have given up everything he'd worked his life for to be a judge at the top, to be basically kicked out by those people and said, right, if you're going to go that way, bye-bye, to find out that maybe Jesus wasn't who he said he was and then end up with absolutely nothing. There are no guarantees in life, in anything to some degree. I suppose there is a guarantee that we have an absolutely incredible saviour. But when I t you understand where I'm talking about when I say that. The choices that we make, ultimately, life has a process. And sometimes, in the moment, we're just not sure. Now, is there always a possibility, then, that it can go too far? Yes, but this is where I want to throw this in. There is an importance with accountability and openness to the whole picture, right? If you become boxed off and closed-minded in your new thought, that becomes just as much of a religion as the thought that you've just broken. So if we don't allow ourselves to be measured with other people and to talk and to, again, enter into conversation, that's when potentially the problem can come. So we must always be willing to hold our thoughts up for scrutiny and be beware not to make our new thoughts just as much of a religion as the old. Now, this is the point that I want to I wanna come to. Here's when the problem is. The problem comes when we try to proclaim our own gospel rather than radically reclaim the gospel that has been there all along. Our desire to be contrary to some of the beliefs that we've learnt should never be with an attitude of proclaiming our own gospel because you will just be, I won't use the word, you will just be very arrogant or very proud because what you do is you proclaim your own gospel then as being the only gospel and that can't be ever how it works. However, if we are doing it in a way to radically reclaim the goodness and the, the, the grace and the awesomeness that was already there, then actually what we're doing is we're going back to the whole thing, the scripture that says the lamb that was chosen without defect before the foundation of the earth. We're going back to that point. And you know what? There's a lot of questions to be asked to get back to that point because the stuff that has blocked off the awesomeness of who Christ is, is ridiculous. It is. It has prevented people from accessing something. And, and I'm going to say this, when Jesus died and he said, it is finished, the, the temple of the curtain torn. And you know what the church has spent its, its time doing? Stitching it back up. That's what it's done. Let's stitch it back up and make sure that we have this room in here that we can all go in. Well, I'm telling you, again, we need to be contrary to that belief because it's not right yet. The, t the temple curtain was torn to give accessibility and inclusivity to everybody. To everybody. And anything that contradicts that belief needs someone to be heretical about it. It does. 
Because that is not the kingdom that we believe in. It's not the kingdom we believe in. Anything that isn't benevolent with the love of God, that isn't breathing and living forgiveness, kindness and reconciliation, listen to this, requires us to practice an offensive faith to a theology that needs to die. It's time to practice an offensive faith to a theology that needs to die. It means leaving the safety of our Christendom, but instead we choose to imitate Christ. Jesus had every intention of bringing contradictions, drawing new understanding to enable lives to be changed and transformed, and he gave us new ways of thinking about the here and now of our daily lives. He's still doing it now. He's still willing to engage in conversation with you now. In 21st century living, that same Jesus that was as radical then is as radical now. And as the more we try and domesticate him, the more we lose its power. It loses all sense of meaning, meaning, meaningness? No. Meaningfulness. Let's go with that one. In our world. Our willingness to ask questions can not only affect our world, but also bring liberation to people who before would have been excluded. It sweeps away, I love this, it sweeps away fossilized, outdated theologies, making way for new liberating practices to emerge. So here's a question. Are you a fossil or are you a follower? Now, being a fossil has got nothing to do with age, right? Just to clarify. I'm talking about are you something that has basically become so outdated in your thoughts because of what you were always taught, you're still cutting off the end of your ham. Again, might have been... Remember, a fossil wasn't always a fossil. Remember that? You know, it was, it was something that was tangible and was meaningful, and it was living, yeah. And it, 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 was, it was a being, and it had purpose, and it moved. So yeah, it did have a time, but then... Get stuck in rock, yeah? Layers build up, and then it's no longer really any good anymore. And we have to remember that if Jesus were here now, he would, he would not just be saying the same things that he said in Scripture. He wouldn't. He would be saying things that work now, that make sense to people now, that we've got a whole world out there that if you were to quote some of the things that Jesus was saying in Jewish culture, they'd be like, what the heck are you on about? We get it because we've been brought up a lot of the time with that language to understand that was the era that it kind of kicked off. But unless we have an ability to bring that truth into now, we become, we become fossilized and not moving and growing and, and living and it becomes empty. So, here's the challenge. Heresy in this context that I've spoken about tonight is the start of a revolution. It is willing to choose other ways, think other thoughts, spark deeper discussion, and reach far beyond the narrow confines of a church as an institution to the people beyond it. If that's what it achieves, then I'm in. I'm definitely in. Now, I'm nearly done. I hope it's made some sense. I really do. Um, so here's, here's an interesting one. You know, in all honesty, the rock 
and some of its teaching has been branded heresy, um, particularly some of our teachings on the eternal and hell and various topics that people skirt around often and kind of brush under the carpet. Now, if anybody, if you hear anybody saying the rock's acting in heresy, you now know what it means. You know what it means now? Nothing to be afraid of. Absolutely nothing to be afraid of at all. Basically, we are operating in choice. We are choosing to think certain things. Some people might label it a thought crime, but remember, it was thought to be a thought crime. That was what people said it was. So people invented, oh, Harris is a thought crime. Some people might believe that our teaching here, they are thought crimes. And if they think it is, then that's okay too. If they want to get involved in the conversation, they are very, they are very um, welcome to do so. However, the questions that we are willing to embrace here at The Rock are allowing the old God to die and allowing scandalous grace to change the lives across our world. And I'm going to be part of that process. Sold out, definitely, I want to be part of that process. And if cutting against the grain of some of the things that we've believed and thought, if any of those beliefs exclude or limit people and shut the doors, then something needs to be said because that is not our job. Our job is to be inclusive, to be welcome. I'm still on that process of learning and understanding. And just to finish off, if have, have any of you been on the new website yet? I mean, it's really fantastic. There's so much to look at. Um, if you want to know some of our choices and our thoughts, then go and look at On The Pulse. Go and read right from A, A to Z because, I mean, they're not, long, they're not long bits. They're just kind of like a couple of paragraphs. Sometimes it's good anyway because it's amazing how much you can learn here and forget what great stuff's being said. And you're like, yeah, is it, is it on? Yeah, so this is On The Pulse here on the website. If you just scroll down. Can we scroll down? Is it working? Up, even. Yeah, so there you go. And you just click on one of the arrows. See, and then it opens up like basically what we believe. And this is kind of our ethos here. Now, you can get familiar with some of the things that we've decided at this time in our life, our, our choices of what we believe is the way forward. Again, we believe that all of these things here are making way for an inclusive kingdom and a kingdom that allows the scandalous grace of this amazing guy we call Jesus to be shown. So I hope that's made some sense. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Joel. I can almost smell the insecurity in here tonight. Um, and that's okay. Um, if, if you're looking for security in non-expansion of your thought process and lifestyle, then there are, there are some really beautiful people who absolutely love God who, who can help you with that and provide that for you. Um, and we commend that. Um, but if you're not wanting to get stuck, if, if you're willing to see Jesus in a new way and have a different revelation of the Father, then rejoice in your insecurity. Because if you were a first century Jew in Israel 
listening to Jesus, everything you felt dictated your security, he shook. So they were so sure historically of their grasp of God and the purposes of God and it's like Jesus smacked them one side of the head then the other side, then the other side till they didn't know which was up and which was down and what he was doing was helping them to understand that so often our faith in God has not become our faith in God it's become our faith in the security that we have from the system that we have been given and Jesus was trying to encourage them to be what God always wanted pilgrims people who journey because all this story really started with a man called Abraham who God said here's what I want you to do leave your people your country your father's house all your security everything you're familiar with and go to a land that I will show you or in other words I want you not to be secure in the elements that you have been given but secure in the relationship that I have called you to into with me and I believe God's calling people to a relationship that says my security is in drawing close to the Father, knowing he's my Father, loving him and let him lead me. Now that doesn't leave us without principles, it doesn't leave us without integrity, but what it says is that they're not based on practices that we have established that give us our own sense of security. This is a scary kind of faith, guys. This is, this is the kind of belief that, that um, many people can't get comfortable with. But I believe it's what God is calling you to and calling me to. And we're privileged to be here tonight to hear the Father's voice saying, come, follow me. Because that's what Jesus said to his disciples. Follow me. Follow me. And he's faithful. And if you decide to follow him, you will be made into what he intended to make you. One last comment. Um, I preached many times in, in, in a certain context that... Uh, many years ago, God delivered the children of Israel out of the captivity and bondage of Egypt because they'd become slaves for 400 years. And I was taught that Egypt was like the world without God, like, like a place where God is not allowed to be the ruler, the king, and, and his kingdom is not primary. And, and they were fabulously set free by the most amazing miracles from Egypt, you know, Moses, the prince of Egypt and all that. And they're brought out of Egypt, and when they get on the journey, they said to Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. Now, in hindsight, when you read the story, it makes no sense whatsoever, but to them it made perfect sense, because although in Egypt they, life was a certain way, and actually they were in bondage, they felt more secure in the bondage of where they had lived than in the freedom that, of where they had been brought to. So it takes a certain kind of courage. So if you're willing to do that, I commend you, you have a certain kind of courage that says, no, I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want to go back to what binds me and constrains me and doesn't allow me to see a wonderful picture of who God is. If you're willing to take that risk, you are releasing your life to be what God intended for it to be. Whether you're young or you're old, whether you're male or female, it really doesn't matter. You are releasing your heart and your spirit. And so I believe Jesus still calls people, follow me. And I've told you before, I've always been fascinated by Jesus' gospel that here's these fishermen on the beach 
And Jesus comes on the beach and doesn't say, okay, just give me two or three hours to explain what I'm about, where I came from, what I'm expecting of you, what, how you're going to need to behave, what you're going to need to do. It doesn't do that. You read the story, it says, and Jesus was walking along the beach, and there were fishermen mending their nets. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was it. That was it. Follow me. And on the strength of the sound of his voice, on hearing something that stirred something in here, didn't give them a set of rules up here, stirred something in here, those guys left their nets and followed Jesus, and they have become the people who we now know as the apostles, who were the people who were the beginnings of the church, who began to preach the gospel that we're now in, and all that began... Not from an explanation of expectations, but from willing to hear a voice that said, follow me. And I believe that's still the call of Jesus to lives today. It's still the call in here. And I echo that from what Joel has said, because to those people, Jesus was a heretic. That's why they crucified him. And said, we won't have this man to rule over us. But the same Jesus is calling you today and saying, if you'll follow me, if you'll follow me. So on his bow heads, we're just going to pray right now. Maybe you want to make a decision in your heart. Yeah, that's me. I want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with everything in me, without reservation. I'm prepared to become insecure to become secure. I'm prepared to die to live. I'm prepared to follow him and let him leave me. Let that happen in your heart tonight. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you that you're still calling us today. Thank you that the world-changing potential within us is just the same today as it was in those boys that you called on the seashore. And that as we hear your voice today, we have the opportunity to release that potential to change our world in a wonderful way. But even before that, we have the opportunity to receive your peace in our hearts, to understand the fullness of your forgiveness and righteousness that has been given to us, and realize that our hope and our strength is in you. So we want to follow you you help us to be brave and bold and courageous in this and may you receive all the honor and may you receive all the glory because you're amazing and we thank you for calling us into this life in Jesus name amen all right thanks Joel um, also I hope you were okay with Larry asking the question to bless his heart that's our Larry who, who will introduce himself to you quite happily if you uh, want to talk to him, I always love the way, first thing he ever says is, I'm Larry. It's wonderful. So bless his heart. Um, yeah, so, so remember, no pillars tonight. Um, hope to see you on Wednesday, but you still hang around, have a coffee chat to somebody, and uh, be a blessing to somebody. And uh, we won't see you next week, but we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. And, but be here anyway, because it's going to be a great, great time next Saturday. All right, we're done. Bless you.